I'm Brandon Bartnick, and this is the Future of Mobility Podcast. The Future of Mobility Podcast is focused on the pursuit of safe, sustainable, effective, and accessible transportation of goods and people. Given the critical nature of the world's climate and energy needs, these topics have never been more important, and they're certainly important to me. So, this podcast is a weekly interview series in which I learn from and put the spotlight on the people helping to develop and implement the technology required to move us forward. Who am I? As mentioned, my name is Brandon Bartnick, and I'm an engineer who realized that making a positive impact is the most important thing to me, both through this podcast and my career in the industry. If you're passionate about any of the topics I cover here, please feel free to reach out on LinkedIn or Twitter. I'd love to connect. Also, if you hear anything you like, please consider sharing the future mobility with a friend or colleague. This podcast is brought to you by Edison Manufacturing and Engineering. Technology innovation is great, but it doesn't mean anything if we can't bring our impactful products to life, which means we have to build them. And unfortunately, that's easier said than done, especially for startups and evolving companies that need a reliable option for low volume builds. That's where we come in. Edison is your turnkey manufacturing partner, specializing in build and assembly of highly complex products in annual volumes of 10 to tens of thousands, utilizing an agile and capital light approach. If you need a trusted manufacturing partner, then please visit us at edison-mfg.com or feel free to reach out to me directly at brandon.bartnick at edison-mfg.com or by visiting my LinkedIn page, Brandon Bartnick. Now to this week's episode. Today's guest is Derek Caveney. Derek is a senior executive engineer in the Integrated Vehicle Systems Division at Toyota Motor North America where he supports the global development of automated and connected driving technologies for safety, comfort, and fuel efficiency applications. So today we're talking assisted and automated driving from a, a little bit of a different perspective. So this is something that I've hinted around and talked through with, with several guests in the past, but I think this is the deepest dive into what does it actually mean to develop and implement ADAS, so Advanced Driver Assistance Systems, as well as ADS, Automated Driving Systems, with a focus on safety. Not necessarily convenience. Yeah, it's great if it's a convenience feature. It's great if it's a luxury feature, all those types of things. It's great if it helps to sell more cars for those reasons. But what does it actually mean to develop a system from the ground up with safety as the priority and well how does that differ from some of the other solutions on the market really fun discussion from my perspective i think this is such an important topic because as i've mentioned some of the past uh some of some of the past episodes many of the systems out there uh, although especially in the private use vehicle sector sector although they're great systems this technology is getting very strong that the priority certainly isn't on safety with the way that these systems are rolled out and tested and validated and even designed whereas i think toyota with their system is pretty clearly focused on safety and talk talking through with derek what that actually means and how you do that and some of the different decisions that are made because of this approach really fun discussion i hope i i learned a ton here i hope you do as well so i'll leave it there for now please enjoy this conversation with derek caveney Today, I'm joined by Derek Caveney. Derek, thanks for coming on. Yeah, no problem, Brandon. Really happy to be here. Yeah, thanks. I'm, I'm really looking forward to the conversation. I think, uh, obviously, assisted and automated driving is something that I've been covering for for a while on on the podcast. And uh, I think this, so the, the general premise of the Future Mobility Podcast is built around safe, sustainable, effective, and accessible mobility, which automation addresses several of those points when when done properly but i think there's some nuance and that's a a, a big kind of if or or when there which and i'm excited to dive into to what you guys are doing and and how what you're personally doing and how you're approaching this so would you mind kind of setting the stage and introducing yourself and what you're doing at toyota sure thing brandon so today i, I sit in ann arbor michigan uh, i work for toyota motor north america which is our north american engineering firm uh, arm of toyota global um, my focus has been since I joined 16 years ago, uh, connected and automated vehicles. So uh, I've been working in the research area for the first five years on connected vehicles, which was uh, a technology that's still around. It's dedicated short range communications um, that uses communication to talk between vehicles and try to provide safety benefits. 
Mm-hmm. Um, then over the last ooh, 10 years or so, I've been focused more on automation and driving assist. Um, starting first with uh, things like blind spot monitoring, which helps you with your vehicle's blind spots. And more recently, in the last five years, uh, highway automation based on like SAE levels. It's SAE level two type of driving. And uh, as well as our other uh, ADAS features for active safety, like pre-collision, lane departure uh, type of systems. So I've been focusing on this area also for a long time and uh, happy to talk about it today. Yeah, and I think Toyota's approach is is unique here. And uh, you, you mentioned kind of even the way you described your work in the connectivity place with uh, DSRC of focusing on the safety benefit, I think is unique in, in some ways. So I think connectivity has been has potential for, for many different applications. And if you uh, both connectivity and automation, if you just kind of blindly follow where you're going, you're going to end up providing a cool product, but maybe not going to a, a clear kind of North Star underlying objective. So within I don't know, either yourself personally or within within Toyota, like when you when you're thinking about these technologies, is there some type of clear like what what's the objective? Is there any kind of clear finish line that you're going towards why you're actually putting these types of uh, features into a vehicle? Yeah, the 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 North Star for us at Toyota and this is global for as far as I can remember ever, has been to zero-nize accidents, and particularly fatalities due to traffic um, vehicles or vulnerable road users on the roadway being hit by vehicles. So our goal still remains to eliminate those type of fatalities in, in, in the world. Uh, and so as you've seen over like the last 20, 25 years, the systems that Toyota has launched have been safety systems first. Our pre-collision system, which is our name for automated emergency braking so to prevent rear ending or striking a pedestrian. Uh, we came out with that in the early 2000s and it was a radar based system. And we've built on that over the last 20 years, provide more and more safety benefits um, to, to our customers and to society. That has always been a safety system first. We've always looked at how can we reduce the number of crashes then from that reduce the number of injuries and then from that reduce the number of fatalities. So. Um, it's always been safety first for Toyota, and our goal is to zeroize all traffic fatalities. Yeah, and I think it'd be interesting to talk about how how that's different. And we don't need to necessarily necessarily throw in any uh, any specific company, but I don't think that's the case throughout the industry. I think uh, you know these connectivity automation often, at least from from my viewers, maybe pitched as a safety system sometimes, but are, are really a convenience or a luxury feature and most of the vehicles that are rolled out in the passenger car space. Can, can you speak to, I guess, from your own, your own perspective, how, how could a, what's the difference in designing a system for those two applications? So safety versus, I don't know, maybe, maybe the, the other approach of uh, trying to sell more vehicles. Hey, yeah. Um, for, from my perspective, even if you're designing a convenience system, which is, even if it's seen as just a convenience system, you have to design that safely. And that, you know, there are existing standards to help you do that through ISO uh, and SAE to help you design safe systems, even if it's for convenience or fuel efficiency or whatever the other application beyond safety can be, you can still design these systems safely. When I look at how we design uh, our systems, you know, the, the, the really is that the driver in the loop considerations are the most important things. If the driver could misuse it or you know, it gets annoyed by it enough that they have to turn the system off, the safety system off, then we've failed kind of our, our, our target, our objective. Mm-hmm. These systems are designed to, to, as I say, you know, reduce fatalities on the roadways. But if customers don't turn them on or don't use them correctly, you know, when they are on, we're, we're not hitting our objectives. So uh, I think the, uh, the keys are to set the right requirements, evaluate against those requirements, and make sure that the customers, you know, it's matching what your expectation is for, for that system. Maybe that's a good spot. Could, could you speak about the the teammate package that you have, the teammate system? Um, what what is that, and how how does it work? Sure, sure. So teammate um, is our I'll say most advanced driving assistance system we have on the market today from Toyota and Lexus. Uh, we launched it earlier this year in the U.S. market. It was launched last year in the Japan market. Um, the teammate system has today two uh, features underneath it. One is called Advanced Drive, which is our automated highway driving system. Another one is advanced park, which is a parking system, as you can imagine. It automatically parks the car into a parking space. 
Um, both of those uh, are our most advanced systems because they take into account, uh, well, they cover the most uh, scenarios driving behaviors that you would imagine in those, um, in those parking and dr highway driving scenes. And to do that, it has to incorporate uh, our largest sensor suite we've had to date on a car, including LIDARs, radars, cameras, uh, mapping, GPS. Uh, but also, it has the most advanced thinking capability, intelligence. So it also incorporates uh, deep neural networks, uh, GPUs to run those deep neural networks, has redundant architectures and redundant algorithms running to uh, provide the service uh, safely to our customer. So teammate is uh, a kind of umbrella term. And today mm -hmm. we have two features underneath it. One is highway driving, one is parking. So like looking at the, the highway driving um, feature under that. So what what is the driver experience look like? Yeah, um, so the driver experience, it's similar to other systems that are on the market today. And I'll try to highlight some differences, but mm -hmm. the highway experience there is that uh, as you get onto a limited access highway, so this is a highway that has ramps for on-ramps and off-ramps, no crossing like traffic lights or stop signs. It's a limited access highway. Um, once the customer is on one of those roads, the map, the vehicle will localize to the map that's on that car and the system will become available if the customer chooses to use it. Once the system's engaged by the customer, it provides uh, speed control along the highway to follow other vehicles that are ahead of you, as well as perhaps slow down for sharp geometries and curves in the roadway. It can also pro provide um, its lane center, so it keeps you in the center of your lane, and also uh, propose when to take automatic lane changes around vehicles or to get to a different highway. It'll do that automatically for you um, after the driver confirms um, that they want to do that lane change. And so it's pretty much uh, automating the whole ramp to ramp automation, sorry, automating the full ramp to ramp experience for driving mm -hmm. on limited access highways. And some, some of the differences over other systems on the market is the interface we have with the driver. We call it teammate for a reason because we want the vehicle and the driver to work together in this, uh, in this environment. Even though the system can automate the majority of the driving, there are things it can handle and there are things that can be augmented by the driver to help the system along. So an example of that that's kind of different from others in the market is that we blend the system's output for steering commands with the driver's steering wheel commands. So if the driver sees something on the road they don't want to go over, like a pothole or maybe some debris on the road, they can nudge the vehicle around those objects without the system disengaging. So once it goes around that object, they can let go of the steering wheel again and it'll continue driving down the highway. That's different than some of our competitors, which are more binary, which you know you try to overtake, you kind of fight it. Mm -hmm. um, we don't have, we, we believe that our control, blended control is much smoother and more intuitive to the driver. So that's a difference in our design that we want the driver and the vehicle to work together. Uh, uh, I'll just go one other thing about the driver experience. Um, we do incorporate driver monitoring cameras in that system because this teammate advanced drive I'm mentioning is possible or it allows for hands-free highway driving. Um, we do use the camera to understand the driver's state as, as we're going along the highway. We also do have touch sensors on the steering wheel, so we know if they're touching the steering wheel, but when their hands are off the wheel, we wanna make sure that they're still engaged in the driving task, looking forward and not being distracted. So we do have that experience uh, embedded in the, in the design where we are monitoring the driver and also providing the driver with all the information they need to uh, monitor the system. And what does it look like? So I don't know, driving on the highway, come across something that the, the system's not comfortable with. I don't know if so a mattress fell off in front of it or whatever, and it's it's suddenly it's like, yeah, but the, I'm not sure what to do here. Let's get the driver engaged. What what does that interface or experience look like? Yeah, so there's 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 two types of experiences here. One is a, a scene where the car knows in advance that it won't be able to support something. Maybe there's a construction zone ahead, and we've received information from the telematics saying uh, this particular highway is under construction, and we actually don't know um, the geometry of the road ahead. So we'd like you to drive through this construction zone. With that with that known location, we provide a, a an early uh, information on the, the, the multimedia, sorry, the, the instrument panel to say, hey, up ahead six miles, there's gonna be some construction. We won't be able to support you. Um, be ready to have a transition back to manual driving. As you get closer to that event, um, if the system is still engaged, the driver will receive an early warning about 12 seconds before that location. And then uh, saying, you know, a nice chime saying, you know, hello, you gotta get back in the driving task. Uh, I'm gonna end my support soon. And then when it gets uh, to that location, it gives you four seconds of a fairly, if you haven't taken over already, four seconds of a fairly uh, in intrusive warning saying, hey, now it's your turn to drive. Um, yeah. 
So there's a graduated, gradated um, uh, transition back to manual driving for those known locations. The second type is an unknown location, like you mentioned, a, a, a mattress falling. Uh, unfortunately, the system can't support a mattress falling off the truck ahead of you. So if it was coming off a truck or it's been there for some time and we, it becomes revealed to the system uh, at a late notice, that's where we trust the system's the driver to be engaged to help in, uh, react to that situation. So as I mentioned, so SAE level two, the driver should be supervising. We try to uh, enforce that supervision using the driver monitoring camera and steering touch sensors. And for that type of scene, the driver would have to uh, react uh, to, to the situation. Yeah, and I, I, I think I have several follow-up questions, but it's, it's so interesting. But again, with, with this lens of safety as the the primary, like the, the ultimate goal of this system. And how do you design a system that actually serves the, the goal? So it's not necessarily, hey, we're going to say, we want you to be able to text for the next four hours. And it's so cool. It's a, it's a, like, it's building a system that will be inherently safer than a driver in all, all situations. Can, can you speak to kind of how, I don't know, from, from, from the ground up, you know, the system level, boundary conditions to the vehicle level requirements like what what can you speak to how this process came together of defining okay how what what are the main things that we have to do to actually build a system that's safer than a driver because like and, and the, i'm sorry to, to go too far but like the the kind of the haphazard hazard approach of let's automate as much as we can and then once not throw it over to the driver and say hey it's your, your turn take over like that almost in my mind by definition can't be safer than the actual driver because you're you're handling all the easy situations as a, as a computer, right? You're handing an automated fashion. Then you're throwing the hardest situations to a driver who's probably not paying attention without enough time to actually get in engaged. And those are the situations where they would have gotten in a crash anyways. And now you're making it even harder. So you're, you're making a system that could be more dangerous for the driver. So like, can you speak to from the way you guys approached it? How, how did this process actually go? Yeah, that, yeah, that's a, Good question, and it's a tough question, right? Like, because as you automate more and more of the driving, the driver is more has more propensity to disengage from the driving task. And so mm -hmm. if you can handle 99% of the driving, but not that 1%, they might not be ready for that 1% of driving that you can't handle. So what I'd start with there is that we make a balance between the control capability of the vehicle and the amount of uh, uh, disengagement we allow. And I'm not saying we allow any disengagement, but you know there is a certain amount of natural distraction, natural looking around the cabin as you're driving. Um, mm -hmm. So we have to balance that with uh, not uh, providing annoying warnings to the driver, but also ensuring that, you know, that's natural and what's not natural. So we have to make that balance in the system design. And, the, uh, you know, going from it has to be safe, have the vehicle and the system has to be safe, we have to then uh, set up the, the system requirements and functional requirements to ensure that. And to do that, we do a, a number of engineering analyses that are well known in the industry. Uh, failure mode analyses, fault tree analyses. We'll follow a lot of the ISO um, 26262 functional safety guidelines to do make sure the system is functionally safe. We then also uh, do the newer uh, SOTIF ISO 21448, which is safety of the intended function. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's that's where I think these automation systems like we're talking about, like these cruising systems or systems where the driver may be taking some time out of being responsible for the driving task. Um, this is where SOTA is really powerful. Um, it allows you to understand like where are the limitations of your sensing system or your vehicle control system or the environment itself, which you know, you're trying to perceive with these external sensors like radars and cameras and, and LIDARs. It allows you to understand, okay, here are the limitations of what I can actually see. And because I know those limitations, how am I going to countermeasure them? And so in Toyota and the design of this teammate system we're talking about right now, um, we had uh, a number of open, I'll say open issue lists where we talk about uh, concerns in the U.S. market, concerns in the Japanese market, and how we're going to address those concerns. And for example, I'll give you a couple examples. Mm -hmm. One of them is like railroad crossings. There's actually highways, you know, limited access highways in the U.S. that have railroad crossings. And at this time, we can't detect the flashing uh, crossing signals of a, of a railroad crossing. Similarly, there are drawbridges on some of the interstates in the U.S. And again, we, you know, it's hard for us to, we currently today don't detect the closing gates of a drawbridge that's going up. And so what did we do for that? We had to look at mapping those locations and then providing 
uh, those locations as locations where we need to transition back to the driver. And so for those known locations, we were able to uh, eliminate the risk by making the system unavailable at those locations. So those type of analyses that you look at um, uh, through different ISO or other standards um, uh, guidelines uh, really allow you to identify uh, where to focus your countermeasures to make sure the system is safe uh, uh, at the launch. Are there any outcomes or, or design f features that were unexpected or counterintuitive to you during, during this process? So like, for, for example, you bring up the, uh, the blended steering rate of, I don't know, I, I don't think I have a gut reaction or I don't think I intuitively have a feel for whether that's something that would be good or good or bad. So it's kind of surprising to me that, that Toyota came up with that. That's part of the feature, but any, anything stand out and from your perspective of something that maybe you, you hadn't expected when you were thinking forward to what this uh, type of system would look like? Yeah, um, the one that comes to mind, one, one, one thing, and it's not, it's not particularly safety related, but it's just kind of uh, user experience related, is that our system has this feature that as you're driving on the highway and you pass a on-ramp, that if there's vehicles coming in on the on-ramp, we determine where that vehicle should go or is likely to go in front or behind you. And if it's to go in front of you, but maybe not uh, with enough space in front of you, we will slightly decelerate to make a gap and make it comfortable for that person coming in from the ramp to go ahead of you on the highway. That sounds great. And it works great. Uh, it's really comfortable because if you just didn't make any speed control for that emerging vehicle, it's, it's a conflict and it's really uncomfortable for the, the driver of our vehicle. So we uh, designed that and implemented it. And it works very well when the vehicles are at speed. When you have, you know, you're actually traveling near a highway speed and the car's coming in, you make a nice gap, it's all smooth. What we've noticed though is at lower speeds, we try to continue doing that. And you get to this point now, if you get down to a traffic jam, your vehicle starts making gaps for cars and you keep getting pushed backwards into the, you get your, your you, you let two or three cars ahead of you before you actually pass the on-ramp. And it's not, it's, it's a little uncomfortable, but it's also kind of uh, frustrating for the driver of our vehicle because they are being kind of pushed back in the queue by all these emerging vehicles because we're trying to be polite in most cases by making a space, yeah. but here we're being maybe a little bit over polite. So it was an interesting learning situation. Maybe an, an analogous situation that was surprising to me. So like testing a few years ago, one of the first uh, predictive cruise control systems that, that came on. So kind of map, map based and it was trying to uh, optimize fuel economy performance by yeah, tying in um, in intelligent control. One of the things was that it, it followed the law to the letter of the law. So like when you come in off and an offer infinite goes from 70 to 35 or 25, then you're slamming on the brakes. And like you realize in those situations, no, when I'm driving, I'm technically speeding for a while because I'm taking my foot off the gas and I'm kind of letting it smoothly um, decelerate where yeah, a system that's just hard and fast, follow exactly what the what the law is at every um, linear inch of road, maybe, maybe isn't the most comfortable experience that you guys could run into anything like that. Actually, we had a very similar experience with our system that we're talking about right now, the teammate advanced drive. It also supports off ramps from the highway and will bring you down uh, to the speed of a surface road. Um, but as we had to tune that, we realized that, um, just like you said, there people come off ramps much quicker than the posted recommended speed that's usually on the orange diamond side or yellow diamond signs. Actually, but that's just a recommended speed. People go quite a bit faster. So we had to actually uh, tune ours up for the U.S. market to meet that. Okay. So another question I had, so back, back to what I had mentioned about this, this steering wheel blending, this is a, it's an interesting example. Can, can you speak to like, is there anything complicated or what, what does that look like doing that smoothly and trying to have two inputs that could be taken into, into the system? Yeah, a lot of that's tuning um, within our power steering controller. We mm -hmm. have to do the tuning between what's coming in from the system and what's coming from the customer. And I, I don't know if I really have a particular way to explain how we do that. It really is a tuning it's a lot of our right handling and feeling people have to do that type of blending. Mm -hmm. um, but the, the, the key is we have to make a, a threshold where if the driver puts in more than that uh, input to the steering wheel, that we will uh, turn the system completely off. And, so, and that's not too much. If you give it, uh, it's not a hard tug like you might find in some of our competitors. It's a fairly uh, low steering input 
will disengage the system. But for a very slight input to go around a pothole or something else on the roadway you don't like, maybe a large vehicle you want to offset from, um, it, it's very comfortable. I imagine there's a balance there, though. Like, I don't know, someone bends and hits the steering wheel on accident or something, you also need to be careful that you don't uh, take that into account and have it get pushed offline. Yeah, if you bump buttons or bump the steering wheel, um, there is an opportunity that could disengage the system. But uh, actually, with this hands-free system, we we actually look for multiple things before disengaging the system, um, including pedal action and steering action. Yeah. So it's cool. Uh, we we try to prevent this type of uh, inadvertent disengagement of the system. So I want to talk maybe a bit about the transition from level two to a level four system. In your mind, and there's some different schools of schools of thought out here, some being that level two is a step towards this fully automated level four system, others being that these are two completely different problems that we're solving and require different approaches. How, where, where do you stand on that uh, debate? Uh, it, it, I, I, I think I stand more on the it's two different problems. But I, I have a dream that they aren't that different in that um, I'm hoping that in the future we'll be able to provide level four type services to people with systems that are cheap and, and not as, uh, when I say cheap, not with uh, as many sensors that are required for a level four system today. And so uh, we at Toyota, we have both, we're working on both domains. We have our level two ADAS, level three ADS, and we have level four, like MOS systems or robo shuttles, robo taxis. The, mm -hmm. the difference between the level two and level four is really, uh, as we've talked about previously, it's it, you got to cover that last 1% of driving. And it might be, maybe it's more than just 1%, maybe it's 10%, but you have to be able to hold, handle in that level four system all of the domain that you're driving in, the operational design domain, ODD. And that's where level two kind of gets away with, you know, doing 95% of the job because, oh, for the other 5%, we'll have the customer or the driver be ready enough to, to handle it. Or we'll mm -hmm. give it back to them uh, to handle it when we need to. But the, the sensing technologies aren't that different. But there's more redundancy in the level four system and there's just more intelligence in the level four system in terms of being able to handle more and more scenes. And so when we do our safety assurance for a level two system or a level four system, it's very similar but there's just so many more cases to have to cover on level four that you, uh, you, you only see a few companies being able to do that well right now. And what do you think are the key enablers in getting the, I don't know, the pr price point or like the simplicity of the, the sensor suite for what, down for, from what, the, what it is currently required, I guess, for uh, an effective level three, level four system. Yeah. Another good question there, Brandon. I think like, Laser technology, like LiDAR and lasers are seen as uh, the key enabling feature for or sensor for these level four systems. I think you know, some people are saying you can only do it with cameras, but to do it robustly, you need to have a laser engaged involved right now. And lasers are still pretty expensive. Um, I know that some are, our, in our teammate vehicle, we are using LiDARs. And so we have some and they're they're not cheap. And we know some of our competitors also are adding lasers to their personally owned vehicles. But what you're seeing in the level four shuttle and Robo taxi domain is there's a lot of lasers on those and they're mm -hmm. still quite expensive. So bringing that cost point down will enable more um, of these uh, of these systems. Um, but I really think the sensing isn't the issue, right? I think you know companies would be willing to pay for a little bit more sensors if they could have a more full service. So you know automated trucking and the robo taxi and the robo shuttles. You know if we can find you know the the solution for the, the business need, um, people will be willing to pay a little bit more for those sensors on, on those fleet vehicles or on those shared vehicles. It'll be much harder to do it for someone's personal own vehicle like yours or mine um, mm -hmm. because, you know, we're not going to pay an extra $100,000 or something for the sensors to allow us to drive. Well, I'm not going to pay an extra $100,000 to allow <laughs> myself to drive from here to work each day. Um, it, it, that really is a, you know, cost benefit analysis isn't quite there for me yet. But uh, I think really a lot, in terms of sensing, it's the li lasers and LIDARs. And then in terms of the overall process, it's really the, uh, the safety assurance and, and monitoring of the system after it's been out there in the market. And how, how have you thought about, so there's a, a wide range. I mean, you mentioned, we've been talking level two system, you mentioned early on some of the other driver assist 
features that you know safe safety features there's these level three level four systems a, a wide range of automation that are being developed and all seem to kind of have their place how how do you and the team think about prioritizing and where to put your efforts and where to introduce certain systems and, and all these types of things yeah that, that's a, a good question too there and, and i haven't really talked much about our toyota safety sense or in our mm -hmm. lexus safety system plus it's called and those two systems tss and lss plus those are a suite of active safety features like automatic emergency braking, lane departure warnings, um, automatic high beams for your, your lights. Um, those systems, we've chosen to make them a standard suite on all of our Toyota Lexus vehicles, almost all of the Toyota Lexus vehicles uh, manufactured for the US. And so that commitment, we're very proud of this at Toyota. It's a standard feature that you will have that automatic emergency braking, lane departure warning, auto high beams, pedestrian automatic emergency braking, um, right there for you when you buy the car, no subscription, no nothing, you get it. So we, didn't have to, we, we, we had to make a choice to take that on as our comp company mission back in 2015, and we finally got all rolled out around 2017. But uh, um, when we talk about the more, I guess, cutting edge or um, uh, I'll say cutting edge level two systems like automatic parking or automatic highway driving, um, we, we, we look at kind of the customer base, like which customers would want to try these systems and would likely use these systems so that we can learn how, you know, how they like them or what we can improve on. Um, so definitely the customer of the particular model is important to us when we choose which, which vehicles to use. Mm -hmm. um, of course, volumes of those vehicles and, you know, timings of the vehicles all play a big role. You know, as we, we have certain cycles as we develop systems and certain cars just won't line up with that launch timing. So, you have to choose a vehicle that will line up well with the, uh, the actual availability of that system. And then there's, there's of course, cost uh, implications on these top-end systems. They are optional right now. So will the customer actually buy them? You know, even if they like them, will they actually buy them? That's another um, consideration we have taken, too, in terms of who should get these systems the first, uh, the first deployment. So are you collecting and utilizing data from in-use vehicles, or how, how is that working? Uh, yeah, we do have um, uh, opt-in telematics data collection from cars. So we do give the, the option to customers to opt in to share their driving data with us. Um, we currently do not, uh, it's all kind of vehicle level data. It's not like image data or camera data at this point. Okay. Um, so uh, we have that um, today, but we would like to collect more information than that moving forward. But it, then, it's an opt-in opt uh, situation for our customer. Yeah, I'm not sure I'll, I'll uh, land on a, a neat question here, but this uh, this idea of, so it sounds great, right, to introduce safety features to everyone that drives well with my understanding of Toyota's mission and being a mission-driven company. And so you also have to be a profitable company and make, make money to continue to serve people in, in the way that you would like to. So there's there's always got to be a balance there, right, of, of commercial viability. You touched on it for the higher end options. Uh, how... How does that play out? So the how does how does that work when you're trying to uh, define? Yes, we want to put safety features on on all vehicles, but like we also don't want to spike up the cost of every vehicle by 10k and make it so no one buys a Toyota and doesn't actually use this. So it's a, I don't know, I know a sloppy question, but anything you can offer on on that topic? Yeah, there's a there, there's a little bit. Um, I would say that. Um, as we go through different generations of that TSS or LSS system I mentioned earlier, um, there are features we're able to add to the existing, basically the existing cost of the sensors. So it's the same radar or camera combination. We're just adding new software. And with a new generation, we get a little bit more memory, a little bit more computation. Hmm. But then if we have to add new sensors, like new driving monitoring camera or a new um, radar or new laser, that, that type of decision, uh, we often make it for uh, a small number of models just to see what, you know, what's the appetite for it. Um, fortunately, like most of these things are kind of just added on to the TSS. It's not like a completely different system. So, you know, that radar camera combination we have at the front of all of our vehicles really is the basis of everything we're launching. And so, um, yes, it's a cost up to add a more, another sensor to it to add a new feature that requires that new sensor. 
but um, it, it's it's not a completely different sensor suite and completely different logic that um, we're implementing uh, to 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 our to to release that logic. So I, I'd say uh, the, the the risk we're taking is we like that risk to try new things, um, but we don't do it on all models at once. And um, usually those are just optional additions on top of our to safety sense. Got it. Yeah, that makes 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 sense. Uh, maybe last, last question I have in this this line of, of topic: the uh, sustainability and, and fuel economy. So I think there's at least theoretically some cool things that you could do to eke out some fuel economy improvement, right? And, and increase the vehicle efficiency, utilizing the information from driver assist systems, whether it's teaching the the driver or actually controlling the vehicle. Uh, I don't know. To, to what extent are you guys thinking about implementing? ADAS or assisted driving um, features as a way to improve the sustainability of the vehicles in use? Yeah, um, we have a long history there actually, Brandon, that um, we've been trying to link together ADAS and fuel economy um, well before carbon neutrality and sustainability was maybe a, a you know the word of the day. Um, some ideas there that we've actually implemented have been, uh, now this is over five years ago now, we would learn where stop sign locations were for your particular drive. And um, after a while of driving, you know, your commute route or your local routes, we knew where all the, this was without a map, we knew where all the stopping locations were. And we could start proposing to you, uh, this was actually in our Prius hybrid vehicle, we could start proposing where you should actually let go of the uh, accelerator pedal. And then you'd still get to the stop sign with a, a good profile, but you'd be saving, you know, good, you'd be saving, using less fuel, less battery, and also um, maximizing the braking regen. Mm -hmm. So that, that type of uh, integration of maps and powertrain have already been deployed in some Toyota models. Um, looking forward though, um, we have similar ideas and research in the area of traffic light detection integrated with that type of stopping behavior. So knowing that the light is red or way ahead is red, we can give prediction to the driver of when they should take their foot off the throttle and hopefully save fuel uh, to, that, to that stop line. Um, so yeah, integrating with sustainability, safety, and comfort are all in our wheelhouse. Yeah, and you already touched on this, but it's a it's a delicate ballast, right? Because I think everyone has driven behind uh, the too conservative driver who takes their foot off half a mile before the stop sign. And you're wanted, yeah, you feel the need to to pass them, or you get frustrated because they're going so slow, and yeah, you certainly don't want to do that, or or cause adverse problems for traffic flow and things and minimize the amount of vehicles that are making it through intersections because of the behavior of your vehicle, right? Because that's that's counterproductive at a large scale. Yeah, yeah. You don't want to be the slow person's, uh, yeah, you don't want to be a slow person on the road that's making everybody accelerate really quickly around you. And then the, as, a, as a society, you're having worse emissions and fuel efficiency. Um, there, but there are opportunities everywhere, like even just cruising on a highway with some hills on it. You can do a better, you can do a smarter job of your fuel efficiency and fuel planning to make sure that you know I'll still get to my destination with enough range or enough fuel, but I'll be able to minimize what I'm using on the uphills and maximize what I'm using on the downhills. Um, there are lots of opportunities there for integrating ADAS with the fuel efficiency. Yep, and you already mentioned it with the Prius, but I think it it becomes uh, a lot more exciting as you get electrification and regen that you can utilize in your uh, yeah, it's a super yeah. interesting field. It is. It is. So uh, a couple of kind of kind of wrap up questions, so kind of take taking a left turn, if you don't mind. So one, one question I like to ask just about every one of my guests about um, influences on on them, and usually book uh, a book or books um, that that you've read, but you can you can expand it to any uh, any kind of resource. But is there anything kind of through through the years that you've read that has had a significant impact on you? Whether it's it could be personal, it could be professional, uh, whatever it could be. Could be recent. Could have been some. I don't know, coming out of college, whatever. Hmm. That's a good question. I did not prepare for that type of question. Right. Hmm. Yeah, I, I can't think of a book, but I can think of a couple of people that you know influenced me. Um, yeah. And and this is like, this is going to go back to internships when I was in undergrad, and I had an internship with a professor who was looking at uh, how to optimize railroad, um, rail, railroad vehicles, basically trains. And I had never even thought about trains as a thing to work on or cars. But he, the exposure he gave me to like the simplest types of dynamics of vehicles, and this is in terms of trains, 
he opened my eyes to like, there's so many opportunities for controlling things better in this world. And from that, like I wasn't really interested in training, but I got into cars from that. And now I'm working at Toyota and been very happy working on cars for over 20 years now. But that, that I would never have thought of the type of opportunities and the vehicles to control them that we're seeing today. But that had been for him showing me what you could do for rail cars back you now 40, uh, 30 years ago, 25 years ago. So um, I, th- I think that, you know, that type of, um, what's the message here? I think the message here is like, as a, the power of internships in college or in high school to just see things that you might never have thought of before um, really is great. So uh, I'd say that'd be my most influential type of answer to your question. And maybe, maybe this is related, but so what, what do you, I don't know whether it's an intern or you, you get a somewhat early, early career um, engineer who, who joins and you're working with them. They come and ask you for, for advice. What, what does that usually look like? Uh, I don't know what you usually say to someone like that. Uh, what I find with internships or, or interns we're getting now or co-ops we're getting now is that they actually have never touched hardware. You know, they haven't, they, they, they see simulations, they see, you know, they're on their laptops, they can do uh, analyses on, on a laptop, but they never actually touch a car, bicycle, or whatever it is they want to work on. And so I encourage them to go down to our shops, and, you know, they have lots of test cars, go down and at least just drive in a car. You don't have to actually work on the car, but go drive with a technician or an engineer on some of their tests and just sense like what, what type of work they're doing in the car to make it better or make that system better. So uh, to get those opportunities to actually get in the car or get in your truck or whatever the thing is you're designing and working for, I think is, a, is, is almost a must for you to really appreciate what, what the current situation is and what the gaps are that could, could be solved by your great work. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's right back to the playbook of uh Toyota production system, right? in Toyota, I mean, yeah, operating yeah. principles of manufacturing environment, but I, I it makes sense that it applies in, in this world too. Yeah, I think maybe you're looking for the Genshi Kambutsu, which yeah, is exactly. our uh, is go and see for yourself type of mentality at Toyota. Yep. Yeah. Cool. And uh, I had a follow-up question I wanted to ask that I forgot, which doesn't happen that often. Uh, any I don't know. I guess maybe kind of a forward-looking thing. So anything? So you mentioned uh, you've had fun working working on cars for for some time now. We've talked about some cool products that have come out and things. Uh, anything that you're particularly excited about as we're looking forward to the next few five years or or whatever? Yeah, um, I would hand, I would hit on a couple things. Just one thing maybe, and that is um, now being in this field for almost twenty years. Um, we're designing our system, basically one system for all people, like one adaptive cruise control system, one uh, automatic emergency braking system for every driver. But I think personalization and in particular senior personalization, how are we going to personalize these systems to work with our senior population, which could also be flipped to saying also work with our very young teen population that are driving. Mm-hmm. Um, being able to, to provide them with a different level, and I'm not saying better level or lower level, better level of assistance in their driving when they're you know just learning how to drive or just trying to keep on driving for as long as possible um, I think uh, and I'm very excited about projects that we're doing here at Toyota to understand how seniors maybe abilities degrade over time uh, as well as how teens learn over time and what gaps they might have as they're learning from uh, a learner's permit to an actual full certified driver so I'm really excited about the the abilities of our cars to sense and assess the driver's capabilities and being able to feed that back into our adaptive uh, uh, ADAS systems. Uh, I think, you know, in the next five, 10 years, because of driver monitoring systems and external perception systems, we'll be able to understand like how well drivers are doing individually and tune systems to be the best for them and help them drive better or at least support them where they need more support. And just to dig a, a touch deeper there. So when you, when you say individually, so I could see kind of a, a first action of you mentioned kind of groups right of early career early drivers versus seniors and i imagine yeah the skill level even the experience that they that's useful for them in the vehicle is probably different between those groups but are you also talking then at the individual level of learning how this one driver what they do well and don't do well and how they re- respond or, or or what exactly yes. do you mean there yeah definitely what you just said um actually not not really much well learning as groups in terms of kind of macroscopic behaviors 
So examples like we are looking at how maybe a diabetic can their their behavior may degrade over time um, during a particular drive or over mm-hmm. a number of drives. Elderly people beyond diabetics, but other like people with MCI, like mild cognition impairment, uh, how they might degrade in time. So that type of grouping, yes, but the actual systems we're looking to deploy to help them would be individualized. Hmm. Understanding like what, you know, giving uh, advice and guidance on particular things where they could uh, be best uh, best uh, helped. Yeah. Um, so really is it, it's a personal individual, driver by driver, person by person type of support is the goal. Yeah, it's a, it's a cool idea. It's something I hadn't thought about before, but uh, I'm sure I'll, I'll be noodling on that for some time because I, yeah, I think anyone who's a, a coach or a, a teammate, I think, realizes that uh, general advice gets you so far, but the, the personalized and actually understanding who you're talking with and who you're working alongside and trying to support uh, gets you much further. Yeah, it, it goes back to the teammate concept we talked earlier in about teammates, about building trust, right? And so if your system is providing you things that, hey, you know, you're right about that, you build that trusting relationship so that the next time it suggests something to you, um, you're a bit more open to listen to it. So yeah, it's a, there's a lot of trust building in those type of relationships and and therefore you can't get it wrong. You can't start suggesting things that they go, oh, actually that's not me at all. Yep. Um, so uh, yeah, it's a lot about teammates and trusting. Cool. So yeah, last, last kind of closing question, open-ended. Uh, anything we missed here that, that you had hoped to talk about or if not, or either way, kind of, is there anything that you're hoping someone who's listening to this takes away from the conversation when thinking about the types of topics that we've talked about so far? Yeah, um, I think if I was to go with one takeaway, I really like the way, Brandon, how you talked about how people go about designing these systems in the first place. I think there's a different mentality between maybe a traditional OEM or a, a, a traditional car maker and an IT company. And what I would say to that is that if you look at traditional uh, automakers, we're a bit more conservative of how we roll things out because we have a customer base and a legacy brand that you know we must maintain and not uh, as much as we want to innovate, we must not lose the trust and reputation we have with our customers and, and the society as a whole. As IT companies might be a bit more aggressive, right? They have to answer to different you know cap, uh, capital venture companies and other investors. They they have to really answer their stockholders uh, maybe, a, well, we also have to, but they might have a bit more pressure to deliver a product sooner than they, they really should in terms of making sure it's safe enough to, to launch. So I, I really, if I have something that people listen to from this podcast, um, uh, traditional automakers don't think that we're just slow and old and antiquated. We're also being careful that we don't um, overpromise and underdeliver in terms of safety of these systems. So um, I, I commend all the IT companies for pushing forward. They're pushing us as well as traditional automotive manufacturers. Um, but it's definitely a balance. Yeah, I, th- I think that, that makes a ton of sense. And it reminds me of what I was, was going to ask or say before of the uh, Toyota's approach to both electrification as well as as automation. Um, I don't, I don't think either of them can be judged on a short-term scale because that's not the game you, you guys are trying to play of uh, get technology out as soon as, as possible and uh, show early wins, but uh, that's, that's not the way the company's operated in the past. So yeah, I'm I'm a third-party bystander who watches from the outside but have, have known enough about uh, the, the reputation and track record that Toyota has to think they have. For the most part, this isn't... Uh, this isn't a company that's, you know, blindly just saying the technology is not coming and we're, we're going to be stubborn and uh, do, do certain, it's, it's more so about what you're just talking about of kind of playing the long game here and being very intentional about the, how the technology is rolled out from a safety as well as a business sustainability perspective. Yep, exactly, Brandon. Cool. Well, Derek, thank you very much. Very fun conversation. I have a lot to, that probably one I'm going to have to listen back to a few times because you said several things that'll have me thinking about, uh, things differently. So I really appreciate it. Appreciate you uh, joining and uh, wish you the best of luck. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Brandon. Well, there you have it. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Derek Caveney. So as I mentioned at the beginning, we really enjoyed this conversation. I think got got a ton out of it. A few things particular that stand out. So one is, you know, the design process and validation and the the approach of having an, a, 
advanced driver assist system that supports the driver and is there as a teammate, as they call it, for the driver at times when they need and to improve the driver experience. Super interesting to me. And I think two, two specific things stand out. So one, this uh, steering steering blending that we talked about in, in some detail. I think the easier technical solution there is just to have a binary on-off. So the system's either on or once you start to put your own inputs in it, it turns the system off. That's not a great driver experience situation. I also don't think it's the safest or the best approach for the driver like this. When you have one of these systems engaged and you have something that you would like to, I don't know, gently override or nudge the system in a certain direction, it makes so much more sense to have that blending in place and to be able to fluidly put your own input and work with the system as opposed to it's kind of an either or type situation. So I don't, seems minor and honestly, maybe, maybe is relatively minor, but I think that way of thinking is, is super important. And then what we just touched on at the end really gets me thinking of what does it look like to customize a driver assist system for a specific driver so yeah as part of that maybe you could do it from a uh, demographic perspective and get some information about the driver but, but actually more much more powerful and interesting is how do you gather data from the way a driver drives figure out where they need the most support and the best way to provide that support and work with that driver over time and i think that's Eric said that's that's something that he's super um, excited about. I, I am as well. I don't know exactly how close we are to getting there, but I think that's that's such an interesting perspective and something that could be so powerful uh, once we're able to actually implement technology like that. So, like I said, well, really, really cool discussion from my perspective. Um, you know, kind of this different lens. I, I hope more companies over time take this approach to driver assist systems and really put safety first and foremost that's certainly what i care the most about i mentioned the beginning of every show it's safe sustainable effective and accessible mobility that that drives me and i think where we need to be focusing sure it's great if you can do emails or text or sleep on the highway but that's all secondary it's, it's really about driving these using these systems as a way to improve the safety and sustainability of, of the way we're driving. And I think this this approach that we talked about here really puts those things first and foremost. So, yeah, f- fun discussion. Thanks for listening. Really, really appreciate it. Hope you got something out of this. As always, more to come next week. Thanks. Thank you for listening.